First Class Fatherhood. That is where Alec Lace comes in with his popular podcast. And one of the most interesting was on a podcast. Alec Lace interviews high-profile fathers from actors to NFL players with a vision to change the narrative of fatherhood and family life. Welcome, everybody, to episode 619 of First Class Fatherhood, which is now proudly a part of the family-made media network with First Class Father Andrew East and his wife, Olympic gold medalist Sean Johnson. Now, while Sean Johnson was winning her gold medal in 2008, another young American woman by the name of Amanda Knox was becoming the center of a media firestorm all over the world after she was accused of murdering her roommate in 2007 in Italy. Uh, she was tried and convicted, did almost four years in an Italian prison, unimaginable, before she was eventually retried and ultimately acquitted on all charges. I cannot even begin to imagine what that must have been like, let alone for her, but her family, her father, her friends. Uh, just an unimaginable situation that you could find yourself in. Fast forward to today, Amanda Knox is now married to Christopher Robinson, and the couple have one child together. How did all of these events play into her now becoming a young mom, and what are her plans moving forward? How is she uh, paying this all back and helping other people that were in similar situations to her? We're going to find out all about that and so much more. Also, her and her husband, Chris, they, they host their own podcast called The Labyrinths, we're going to find out what that's all about. I hope you guys will enjoy this episode. I certainly did. Uh, I remember following along the case, first hearing about it, her getting convicted, the whole bit, followed along as the media. I mean, there's been so many documentaries, uh, stories written about this, books. Uh, really, this story became like one of the highlights year after year of what was going on until 2015 when she was ultimately acquitted on all the charges. So my interview with Amanda Knox and her husband, Christopher Robinson, is coming straight ahead. If you want to watch today's interview... Get over to my YouTube channel, First Class Fatherhood. The link is in the description of today's podcast episode. You can watch this interview. It was recorded on video for your enjoyment. I also wanted to mention that this past weekend, I had the honor of spending time with the U.S. Navy SEALs as they completed their fourth annual swim across the Hudson River here in New Jersey, New York, in honor of their fallen brothers on Extortion 17. This was the 11-year anniversary of Extortion 17, which was uh, a tragic incident in which a helicopter was shot down, killing 30 service members and a service dog. It was the greatest single loss of life in special warfare history. They were also swimming in honor of the victims uh, of 9-11. Just, just an incredible day. I was on a barge in the middle of the Hudson River doing on-the-spot interviews, uh, capturing some great footage of the event. I, I think it's the greatest New York, New Jersey event all year long. So make sure you get over to my YouTube channel. I'm going to upload all the video from that day. Once I put it all together, you guys can watch it, enjoy it, share it. I think you'll love it. Uh, also, you can check out my Instagram page, at Alec underscore Lace, for more information on that. Coming your way on Friday is my interview with U.S. Olympic legend Bodie Miller. You're not going to want to miss out on that. Him, and he's got a tremendously big family. He's a family man. They had a tragedy in his family when he lost one of his children in a swimming pool drowning. Uh, just how do you bounce back from something like that? We're going to talk about that, take a deep dive into that and so much more. So I hope you'll tune in for that one as well. But coming your way right now, my interview with Amanda Knox and her husband, Christopher Robinson, here on First Class Fatherhood. Uh, joining me now, First Class Father Christopher Robinson, along with his wife, Amanda Knox. Welcome to First Class Fatherhood. Thank Glad you for having here. us. All right, well, let's start simple here. How many kids do you have? How old? I have one child, daughter. Her name is Eureka. She just turned one on July 11th. We made it. So, 
<laughs> she survived the first year. So, so cool. You guys want it done here? Or you looking for more? Oh, we're definitely going to have more. Yeah. Yep. Very cool. One more. And depending on how difficult that is, we'll talk about something beyond that. Yeah. All right. Well, I got four myself. So the more the merrier. Woo! It gets better with every one. I can tell you that much. So, um, it, Christopher, if you could, please just take a minute here to hit my listeners with a little bit about your background and what you do. So I am um, I'm a novelist and a poet and I have a background in computer science. I'm a bit of a futurist technologist kind of thinker um, and also philosophy. So I have a, a kind of scattered and um, interesting background that has surprisingly prepared me for my current role as podcast host and journalist alongside Amanda uh, in Labyrinths, the podcast we host together. And today we're working on um, diverse projects in the media world, um, but always with a lens toward curiosity, compassion, and courage as kind of the core values of everything that we work on. Very cool. Well said. And Amanda, obviously well known for, for what happened. But aside for stepping aside from that, what could you tell the listeners about yourself and who you are? Uh, today, I am a podcaster and writer. I like to think of myself as someone who is a media savvy, ethical uh, storyteller. Um, so I try to put people who find themselves at the center of uh, scandalous stories who often feel like they don't have a voice in that story and try to give them back a sense of ownership over their own stories. Wow. Yeah, very, very cool. And and I'll start with you here, Amanda, and then I'll go right over to Chris. What, what, what would you say, Amanda, how did the experience of becoming a mom change your perspective on life? Whew, um, it definitely, I think the, the metaphor that I've come away with was prior to becoming a mother, I felt like I was a hunter gatherer. I was moving through a wilderness, trying to find, trying not to get eaten <laughs> and like trying to like find my way, make my own path and pick up whatever treasures I could find along the way. Now that I am a mother, I feel like I am a gardener, that I'm trying to cultivate a safe and lush place and a better world for my child to grow up in. Wow, very well said. What about you, Christopher? How would you say so far the experience of becoming a dad has changed your perspective? Honestly, it's made me view the rest of humanity in a much different lens. Mm. And the biggest way that change has happened is those first weeks and months of dealing with a newborn, you get into this rhythm of, okay, well, they've got the five needs, you know, that needs food, needs sleep, needs love, uh, needs a change of environment. Needs a change of diaper. <laughs> right on with that. You kind of, you're trying to figure out how to make this little worm happy. And you just kind of cycle through those things. Well, I tried to bottle that didn't work. Let's check the diaper. No, it doesn't need a diaper. Maybe it just wants some love and attention. Maybe it needs to cuddle. And what I realized is that adult humans are really not much different than that. <laughs> yeah, anytime somebody in your life is acting like a jerk, chances are it's one of those five things that isn't going right. They need some food. They need some rest. They need some love. Don't you know? They're not getting attention. They shat you themselves know. and they need a yeah. diaper change. Well, they, they need a change of context. Of some and it's made me a little more forgiving uh, and accepting of how hard it is just to move through life being a being a person. 
Yeah, very cool. And I know one of the things, too, especially early on, is, is having the support of your family. So I wanted to kind of ask about that. Maybe we could start with you, Amanda, and then uh, go over to you, Christopher. Uh, what has been the, the support system like from your guys' family? Because for myself, my, both of my parents passed away before I became a father. And oh. my, my wife's parents are, are estranged. They're not involved. So it was like really just me and her throughout this whole process to lean on one another. Uh, and at times can be difficult. At times made us stronger. So what has the support system been like for you guys so far in the journey? That is, oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. Um, I've definitely grew up in the it takes a village mindset, even just with my own mother and how my mom raised myself and my sister with the support, like the daily support of her mother. So that that has been we've sort of continued that that same kind of support system where even though my mom isn't here at home on a daily basis, she's checking in on a daily basis and frequently coming and spending time just to like interact and and be physically present so that I can even take a nap. Like it, it <laughs> does make a huge difference. But we also, I think Chris can speak to this as well. We've also learned to develop, and I'm, I wonder if this is the same with you, the sort of um, found family or chosen family that comes in and um, becomes a part of your village. Friends who have young children who can be there as a support system, even just to bounce ideas back on like we just this um, very recently, we went on a camping trip with a lot of our friends and we were talking about like we have the youngest um, child of all of our friends. And we were talking about entering into that phase of life where you have to eventually learn to discipline your child. It's not just everything is cute and they're discovering everything like at a certain times they're going to push and discover boundaries and how to set boundaries. And that's something that they're looking at us going, it's coming, it's coming. <laughs> Yeah. And those changes do come and they do. Listen, I know it's always trying to get outside your comfort zone is really where you grow and nothing makes you more uncomfortable than being a parent and going through these stages. So and yeah, my wife started a, a chapter of uh, mops over here in our community, mothers of preschoolers, where she was able to connect uh, with a lot of the other mothers that, that had preschool age children. So it was really good community of people. And, and Chris, before I get your take on it. Um, how much of your family did they were they familiar with Amanda Knox and her story before you guys got together and what was kind of their response and how has their support been? Uh, they followed the, the story, followed the case, varying degrees. My brother actually, unbeknownst to me, had been following it pretty closely and he had been he had almost gone down to the airport to greet Amanda when she came home on on the plane from Italy. He's a sweetheart like that. Um, <laughs> wow, but I didn't follow it at all, and I didn't know thing one about it. So when we met, I I knew that she was a person people knew. That was it, and I sort of willfully made a choice not to Google and not to go down the rabbit hole. And we actually met because she reviewed my debut novel, and so she had read my book. But I didn't read her book <laughs> because I, I didn't want that um, that world of the case and the trauma and all that to be the first thing that mediated our relationship. Um, since then, of course, I've become invested in that part of her history and I know the case forwards and backwards and so forth. Um, and my family, uh, I think. Treats that element as a. Weirdly, I, I want to say like unimportant. Yeah. Element. Like it yeah. doesn't really matter. Like that's not who Amanda is to them. Amanda is their daughter-in-law 
for my parents. Yeah, the most you impactful, know. I mean, I, I've never even had them ask me a question about it, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing that I that most struck me about their uh, his family is how much they've just come up to me privately and been like, thank you for making our son happy. <laughs> like just going out of their way to be like, we really appreciate how happy you make our son. And we're like, and I'm like, yeah, thank you for seeing me. Like, that's my job. <laughs> I think they very much have given Amanda space to just be who she is and not have to be the public facing person. That's not to say that we never talk about Italy or never talk about prison. Of course, anecdotes and things come up. Um, But I think that has allowed her to feel very safe uh, in the context of my family, which is really nice. And in terms of how they've supported our role as parents, um, I'm my mom and Amanda's mom were trading off weeks in that first month. Uh, just First two months, even. First two months, just staying with us a week at a time, which is really lovely. And today, uh, my brother and his family have been, um, they don't have any kids, but they've been very supportive, um, uncle-aunt type situation. Um, and they are Renaissance medieval uh, horsemen, horsemanship people yeah i kind of want to shout out their company it's Uh called the seattle knights and they like they you know ride horses and and fight fights with real swords and and stuff so So they're the coolest uncle and aunt ever (laughs) they're gonna teach teach eureka sword play and archery and how to ride a horse horsemanship and and that's all coming in her future and they're really excited to be that role and i'm excited for it too very cool. Yeah, my one brother, he's the big uncle in this family. He doesn't have kids like yourself, but he bets on the horses. So uh, a little something in common there, but uh, not quite the same. Uh, and then I, Amanda, I wanted to ask you, I wanted to ask you about your relationship with your father. As a dad, I can't imagine obviously going through this entire scenario with my daughter. I have one girl. She's my youngest, uh, obviously seven years old, nowhere near anything like that. But I can only just put myself in those positions and maybe in a simple capsule form. Well, how would you describe your relationship with your father before the incident, during the incident and then after? Yeah, um, that's a really great question. And I feel like my dad came away as a true champion through all of this. Um, so my my parents for my entire life have been divorced. Um, I think they divorced when I was one years old. Um, but I grew up in this dynamic where I lived primarily with my mother, but two blocks away lived my dad. And I spent a lot of, of time with him. He was very, very present in my life. Um, He had all daughters, four daughters in total, so um, raised me to be quite tomboyish. We spent a lot of time playing sports together. So we had this very like amicable, almost um, playful and friendly relationship growing up. I remember he was the fun dad. But then when this whole experience happened, he he went into mission mode. He absolutely 100% understood what he needed to do in order and what his priorities were in order to save me and everything like he just made he is a he's a spreadsheet kind of guy he's an accountant he like he solves problems with numbers and he and my my mom first of all came together in a united front to support me and then he was there for me in ways that I wasn't even I didn't even know that he could be there for me. Like, um, 
the big one I would say is the emotional way. Um, I, you know, I love my dad and, but like growing up, he was not the person whose shoulder I would cry on, say that was more of my mom, the kind of person. And, but there were times in prison where he was the only one in Italy there to visit me. Like we, the rest of the family had their lives going on here. My mom would have to go to work as a teacher and he would take time off and be there and maybe be the only one there for me. And I would go into visitation and find him there and just lose it. I would lose it. I would cry. I would weep. I would, you know, there was this one time where I just begged him to save me because I was so desperate and all he could do was cry with me, just be there and be present. And, and it's so like I, to now as a parent, I understand how devastating that helplessness is. Like he was in that moment doing everything he possibly could already. And yet I was still desperate and begging him to save me. And the like just being present with your child when they are experiencing something that you can't fix means so, so much. And I think that's one of the huge parts of um, being an adult in a child's life is you are the person who fixes their problems for them until you aren't. And then you are just a human being with them. And my dad being there present with me, emotionally open with me, not just closing himself off to my suffering, um, absolutely uh, made him next level dad. And then after everything coming out and the whole world attempting to exploit me to the furthest possible degree, him showing up and reminding me that like I am not an object. I am not a commodity. I am a person. He really emphasizing that to me um, has absolutely given me a lot of confidence as I've had to face the world, a known entity for things that I didn't even do. So. Wow. Yeah. Beautiful testimony there and a first class father all the way for sure. And and, and then Christopher, switch, switch it back into your fatherhood journey. Would you say uh, being a dad has changed you as a writer or a poet? Would you say it's changed you creatively at all? That's super interesting. You know, long before I ever found myself an actual father, I remember thinking, you know, if I really want to be a good novelist, I probably should experience this fundamental part of humanity. <laughs> How am I ever going to write a father character if I don't really know what that's like? And it was such a silly route into that idea of parenthood. And now that I'm there, I look back on like my early 20s self imagining that like, oh, to help me with my art. Like it's like <laughs> the, the least important thing about being a dad for me. Uh, <laughs> that's not why I did it eventually. And that's, that's not the, the biggest um, outcome of it. That said, um, it has changed my perspective on lots of things. Um, and creatively, I think one, it, I have a lot less time. <laughs> so it, just that that's a filter mechanism right there that shapes the, the ways I can create art. Um, I have to do it in a more efficient way. Um, and that pressure produces different results. It's an, and it's an interesting formal constraint to work within. Um, but also I would say I've become far more acutely aware of how confusing and overwhelming 
reality is for my daughter that she's stumbling into this world of unknowns and grabbing things and putting them in her mouth as to, to, to see what they are. Like she's kind of looking at the world through her mouth uh, at this stage still. And I being aware of her um, mediation of the world and how the she doesn't have all the concepts that we have that help us categorize things and ignore them. Um, she has to focus on this and this and this, and she'll see a little bit of schmutz on the carpet and become fascinated with it. And it's like, why did she even notice that? Well, it's it's white against the, the, the blue, you know, and that has forced me to realize that that's still true of all of us, still true of me as well. Um, we just get into our habits, we get into our rhythms and we get very good at not noticing what's around us and what that means for me artistically is i've started to pay more attention to my environment in a, in the way that she does I, i'm a little bit vicariously seeing through her wonder and confusion and naivete where just everything is new and everything is worth your attention this little bit of garbage on the floor is worth your attention for a minute for her and that shapes the kinds of things I write about and it shapes the kinds of stories I tell. Yeah. Wow. Incredible. And I, I know just from, you know, I've always had that respect because especially when an artist or somebody is taking, for example, like a military person writing a book or like Jack Carr, the Navy SEAL, I've had him on several times. He, he wrote the terminal list, which has been a smash hit on Amazon. It hits differently when written by a actual combat veteran than it does from somebody trying to perceive what it would be like to be in combat. And I think those things, even seeing them, I always recall like the movie John Q with Denzel Washington. The first time I saw that movie, I wasn't a father. And then revisiting the film years later, seeing it as a dad, it hit me completely differently. So uh, I know from the aspect of viewing the entertainment and consuming it, it definitely changes. So I always wondered that about the actual artists themselves. Oh, um, gosh, that reminds me. What was the movie that I watched while pregnant? Um, oh, Children of Men. Yeah. Children of Men while pregnant is a trip. <laughs> let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it's it's crazy how that that happens in different stages of where you are and where you're perceiving, uh, you know, the, the, the film, the book, whatever it may be, and whatever part of the journey you're on. What, what about as far as traditions, guys? I know one of you is posted the Elf on the Shelf thing. I know that's been a hustle that my kids got into. Do you guys have any kind of um, traditions that you're starting here or any ones that you're carrying on? Gosh, that's a great question. Um, cause she's too young to fully notice things like that yet. Um, but one thing that is, um, true about us is we both have German heritage. Um, uh, it's just my German heritage is more close and present in my life than his is. Um, you're a little bit, you're more American and you're more removed from your ethnic yeah. heritage, I think. Whereas my mom was actually born in Germany. So I grew up like at Christmas time, singing German Christmas songs and, you know, making Feuerzang and Bulle and fire wine where they pour 51 over a sugar cone and light it on fire into the put it wine. into Glühwein. Yeah. <laughs> so I have a lot more. Um, uh, we, we have that that ethnic heritage more present in our lives. And I feel like Chris has been adopting them um, as a kind of like well, reintegration. And, yeah. And, uh, <laughs> I learned how to make pretzels and yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's one. Of, I think that is one of the things we're going to 
make more present for our children is that German heritage and um, carry on some of those German traditions. Even just German food mm-hmm. is a big one. Yeah. Um, but I think we also have our own. I mean, we took Eureka on her first camping trip on her birthday and her birthday is two days after Amanda's birthday. Amanda's on the July 9th. Amanda's mom is July 10th and Eureka is July 11th. So we have this triple birthday weekend. Boom, boom, boom. (laughs) Um, That is already shaping up to be a tradition. Yeah. Where we celebrate all three of these wonderful ladies at the same time. Probably Um, camping, I think. And I kind of think doing an annual camping trip is also a great way to do it. Uh, We love the outdoors and we want Eureka to really grow up embracing the beauty of of nature um, and not be glued to a screen, Mm -hmm. Um, even though here we all are um, (laughs) on on screen. On a screen (laughs) right now. You you have to work at it. You know, the screens (laughs) come easily and you get you have to make time for nature if you're going to it's going to be a part of your life, I think. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I have I have two teenagers right now in high school and uh, it is a battle with the screen time. There's no doubt about it. It gets a little bit more challenging, especially after once we, we seemed like we had a little handle on it until COVID came. And then all the rules that we had seemed to have gone out the window with the screen time. And we're still struggling to get back to where we were. Uh, yeah. And you talk about the screen. I know you guys got the Labyrinth podcast. What, what was the genesis? I'll start with you, Chris. What was the genesis of the podcast here? And what is it all about for those who haven't listened? Hmm. Well. Amanda knows in a very deep way what it's like to be utterly lost. Um, And her situation is extreme, but it's not unique in the sense of feeling like you're adrift and you don't know where your life is headed. And I was feeling that way, too, um, before just before we met. I was feeling like I didn't know where I wanted to go. wasn't sure where my career was headed. Um, I was actually for about four years. I was drifting around the country from place to place. I didn't have a permanent address. And we decided um, when we started, when we met and fell in love and started um, working together, we, we realized that this was a common theme that we resonated with. This idea of what do you do when you're lost and how do you find yourself again? And one of the things that we realized is that everyone has a version of that. Everyone has felt deeply lost at some moment in their lives. And that became the genesis of Labyrinth. Like, what do you do when you find yourself stuck in a maze, when you're not sure where to turn, when your life, you thought your life was going on one direction and all of a sudden it takes a left turn and it seems like there's a dead end in front of you? You, you have to do something. What do you do? You know, and how do you, get from, <laughs> how do you get from A to B? And so that, that's the genesis of Labyrinth. And along the way, we've looked at that subject of being lost in... Uh, you know, a hundred different ways. We've talked to musician Dave Navarro about the fallout of his mother's murder when he was 15 years old and how that drove him into music and led him to form Jane's Addiction and later the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Um, We've talked to politicians like Andrew Yang. We talked to actor LeVar Burton about getting lost in the various roles that have defined his career. Um, And we've talked to people about trauma and You know, we talked to the woman, uh, Samantha Geimer, who was raped by Roman Polanski about how that traumatic event when she was 13 took over her life, took over her life and continued shaping it for 30 years because it just continued to come up in the media. The media actually became a whole other form of trauma that continually took over her life. And she had to find a way to define 
who she was on her own terms. Um, so some of the stories we tell on labyrinths are difficult. Some are are really emotional and and sober, um, and some are really lighthearted and fun. Um, we've also talked to humorist uh, journalist John Ronson about trying to infiltrate the secret leaders of the world, the Bilderberg Group, <laughs> um, and had the sort of hijinks he got into trying to break into their meetings. Um, yeah, yeah. Is there a certain place you push everybody to, or just wherever podcasts are heard? Oh, you can listen to Labyrinths wherever you hear podcasts. Um, you can also find all the rest of our work at knoxrobinson.com. Um, we have, you know, Twitter and Instagram profiles in case you're really interested in our cat parent life. <laughs> we One thing that is true as parents is we decided very early on that we are not going to post pictures of our kids online um, just because we they're not old enough. Eureka is not old enough to consent to that yet. So when yeah, she we can... wanted her to make that decision for herself, if she wants her life to be publicly documented in that way. And one day she may choose to join the social media world. Um, but we want her to choose. Yeah. It seems like I, I get a lot of different celebrities that choose or professional athletes. It's, it's, you know, everyone has their own take on it. Some they, they overly put their kids up there. Some they don't put them. Some put them up, cover the faces. I mean, everyone kind of responds to it, you know, in a different way. And, I, and it's, you know, obviously up to the parent. Uh, I, Amanda, I'm curious, how many languages do you speak? Fluently, I just speak English and Italian, but I can understand German. Um, and I she dabble. Cute German I speak cute German. I can speak <laughs> food German. She <laughs> can get by in, in German. And then she also studied um, Japanese. Back in the day, though. So is, is that something that you plan on trying to uh, instill in your daughter? Do you, do you speak other languages around her? I know when I was a kid, I had that like baby Einstein. Not when I was a kid. My kids were small. We had that like baby Einstein and it spoke all those little languages. Do you speak other languages in front of your daughter to kind of get her used to that? Yes, I speak primarily Italian to Eureka, um, but I also occasionally talk to her in German. And then, of course, Chris is speaking to her in English. Um, we also heard a really cool trick about how if you're going to allow your kids to have screen time, you can make it so that the only screen time they have is in the foreign language that you want them to pick up so that they're incentivized to immerse themselves even more. But we wow. also recently were in um, Germany and we picked up a bunch of German kids books. Mm -hmm. So we've now got a supply of uh, fun books for the coming years ahead. Uh, it's really fun for him because he doesn't actually speak German. So he'll see me over there like reading Eureka a book in German. And he's just like, you sound so funny. <laughs> he, he's working on his Italians right now and then we'll we'll get him on German. Well, I, I know I've heard the answer to the question, how many languages can a child learn? And it's as many as you will teach it, you know, so yep. uh, the sky's the limit on that. So very cool. What um, I would say, obviously, there's been a ton. They talk about media. There's been a ton of documentaries done about you, a lot of different hits on you. What would you consider or maybe, Chris, what do you think is the, the one that you've watched or read or seen that's been the most accurate or really hit the nail on the head? Which one did you think uh, really encapsulated the story in the best way? I mean, the only one, the only media product like that that Amanda has actually consented to and taken part in willfully is the documentary on Netflix called Amanda Knox. And it does a pretty good job covering the case, showing how uh, various forms of cognitive bias influenced the investigators and the media and how there was kind of a vicious cycle of misinformation 
moving between the media and the prosecution that spun this whole thing out of control. Um, that documentary does a pretty good job of it. But I would say Amanda's own work is, as the primary source is the place you should go. You should read her book, Waiting to be Heard, also available on audiobook, which she narrated. And on our podcast, Labyrinths, um, we talk about, about that history. It comes up in relation to lots of things. Uh, and if you listen to Labyrinths, you will get direct from the horse's mouth <laughs> what that experience was like. Yeah, and, I, and obviously, Amanda, you'd, you want your daughter to get this information from you, not somebody else telling her the information. Have you thought about this process of how old maybe she would be or how you plan on approaching it uh, with her when you think the time is right? Absolutely. We've given this a lot of thought. And in the same way that I think there's a lot of discussion out there about trusting your kids, um, I'm trusting Eureka to ask me questions as it comes along. So one thing that I really, really believe in is not hiding anything from my daughter. I think she's going to grow up immersed in a world that involves the issue of wrongful convictions. One thing that is true is I'm friends with a lot of wrongfully convicted people. And I talk a lot about media literacy and about criminal justice reform. These are just topics that come up in our household. And one day she's going to ask why, probably a lot sooner than I'm expecting. And I'm going to allow her to take the lead in the conversation. And then I'm going to openly provide her with the information that she asks for. Um, so definitely putting a lot of faith in her own curiosity, compassion, and courage, and encouraging her to pursue those lines of thought as they arise. It's also something that's going to be in the ether surrounding her before she even knows what it is. Every year we go to the annual Innocence Network conference where we hang out with a bunch of other exonerees and innocence lawyers and DNA scientists and you know, people, and family members, family members of exonerees um, and you know, people come to that conference to trade information and um, help advocate for each other, but also to just let loose and party and dance. And before Eureka even knows what's what, she's going to be friends with people who've spent 20 years in prison for crimes they didn't commit. Those are going to be her her uncles and aunts. And she, it's just going to be there. I, I feel like it's. It's almost not it's not just, hey, mom, what happened to you? She's going to know about that world before she even knows to ask about it, which I think wow. is really cool. Yeah, very cool. Incredible stuff. And, and so last thing I want to hit you guys with here, I'll start with you, Amanda, and then I'll finish with you, Chris. Uh, I always love to ask the guests when I have mine here. So uh, what kind of advice, Amanda, do you have for that new mom or for that about to be mom that's out there listening? It is okay to feel all the feelings that you're feeling. I think one of the things that um, we sort of put a lot of pressure, especially on moms, to feel the right things because our our children are still a little bit, especially when they're very young, are still a part of us. Like just the moment of birth is not the moment that that person that grew inside of you becomes something completely other than you, that you are still very, very intricately connected. And because of that, I feel like there's a lot of pressure on moms to feel the right things so that their children grow up in, you know, a safe and, and um, warm and, and loving environment. But I think what that does is it leads women to feel a lot of shame for when they don't feel 
the right things, when they're feeling tired, when they're feeling angry, when they're feeling anxious. And it's okay to experience those things and don't feel like you have to bottle them up. Find friends, find found family, find family that you can share that burden with um, so that you can show up fully. Well said. Chris, what about you? What kind of advice do you have for that new dad or that about to be father out there listening? You know, the first, actually, I'll back up. Before Eureka was born, I remember whenever someone would hold me, uh, hand me a baby to hold, I would be terrified. Like someone saying, here's this 14th century Ming vase, worth $5 million. Can you please hold it? What if I drop it? I don't, I don't want to be responsible for your most precious thing in the world. Um, and in the first moments of holding my own daughter, I also felt that like, she's so fragile. She's so, I, I have to be so careful. But one of the things I learned that I really would stress to any new dad is like, those little buggers are a lot hardier than it seems at first. And they can take a bruise and a bump and a fall. And we are not about baby proofing our household. Um, we we have not put, you know, padding on any of the corners or anything. For thousands of years, little humans survived environments without special padding <laughs> for babies. And I, I trust that she's going to figure out and learn how to navigate that environment. Now, that doesn't mean I let her go up the stairs unattended. Um, yeah. I, we put you, a baby you be mindful, you pay attention, yeah. you know, uh, but I, it also means that I'm willing to throw her in the air and catch her. And it means that I'm willing to let her, you know, try to walk while I'm holding her by one hand and she falls down and bumps her, her face and she's okay. She got a, you know, she would, we were letting her crawl in the dirt on her camping trip and she face planted at one point and cried for a minute and it's fine. She, she was totally fine. The biggest thing for us is not reacting with fear, not reacting with panic, because that's what sets her into an emotional bad space. Oh, can I actually add one more thing, a piece of advice? So um, I think this is a sort of mutual as a couple advice for couples who are about to have a kid is it in the same way that a new cellmate totally like changes the dynamics of a cell, um, a new family member changes the dynamics of your family and um it there you have to allow yourselves a um an adjustment period um because it is like you have to sort of figure out what your new family is and what that dynamic is like and how energy is exchanged like the way that we operate as a couple has drastically changed because of new, we need new efficiency and we need to think about our time and energy in new ways. And when we did everything together prior to having a baby, now we've, there's a sort of splitting of like, okay, I'm going to go take a nap or I'm going to go take a shower. So you have to be doing this and we have to adjust that around what's happening with baby. And so I think that allowing yourselves the opportunity to grow and change as a couple um, in response to this new energy and and person who has needs um, and also offers something new to the family is allow yourself that time and communicate, 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 because you're not going to come out on the other side as a team unless you understand each other. 
Yeah, very well. So yeah, communication becomes almost godlike at the beginning stages of this stuff. So very well said. I love the message. I love the advice. This has been an honor for me. I got to say, Christopher Robinson, Amanda Knox, you guys are first class parents all the way. And thank you so much for giving me a few minutes of your time here on First Class Fatherhood. Thank you. Thanks for having us. So much fun.